Here we are now with another episode of the Andrew Lake Podcast. If you are a regular listener of the Andrew Lake Podcast, please share your favourite episode as this will help me find my audience. It will help to find the people who are ready to hear what we are talking about here. And today, I'd like to talk about surfing. Have you ever really pondered the magnificence of surfing? The phenomenon of surfing? Who came up with this idea? How on earth did anyone ever think to get a plank of wood, go into the ocean, and surf on the waves at the beach? I have no idea. And it really is remarkable. And I've pondered over surfing, and I've really wondered about this, and I've come to the conclusion that surfing is a meditative dance. It is an interaction with nature that is unlike anything else. And this is very significant. Interacting with nature and a meditative dance with nature is very important to understand. It's very important for you to really get a grasp of the significance. And even if you don't surf, even if you're not into surfing... There are principles to be learnt from surfing culture that can be applied to so many things, and they're really quite fundamental. A meditative dance with nature is so important to understand and to have as a part of, if not your lifestyle, at least something that you do every now and then. I think someone saw the dolphins surfing. They must have been standing on the beach one day and seen the dolphins. Because dolphins do surf, they have this kind of way of swimming through the waves. And surely someone would have seen them and thought, oh, well, I can try that. And then they try it and then they swim. And who knows how people learnt to swim back in the prehistoric times. But eventually they would have figured out that, well, you can use the wave to swim in a certain way, just like the dolphins do. And it's a great big leap. Who knows how or where or when someone thought to add a flotation device to that. Who knows? And what a step it would have been. What a crazy thing it would have been to have seen someone try to do that. Maybe they saw a piece of driftwood washing out on the waves of the ocean, they thought, what would it be like to jump onto one of those things? Yes, maybe that's it. Maybe they saw a piece of wood and they saw the dolphins and they put two and two together and they thought, well, we've just invented surfing. And of course it goes back to who knows how long. It's a lost It's a lost history as far as I know, like so many things are. There are, there are, well that, that is a big, actually a very big point. That is something to ponder over in and of itself, the lost histories that we don't have. 
where did these traditions come from or not not exactly traditions like you wouldn't call you wouldn't call surfing a tradition but where did it come from it's lost to the sands of time and yet now we have modern surfing in it's all its complexity and all its forms and it's significant because it is a meditative dance with nature it's significant because it's it's unlike anything else by a long shot by a long way and we could even prescribe that Dancing with nature is an important part of a healthy life. It's an important part of being being connected to reality. Being in touch with your roots. Being in touch with the peace of the world. Those broader spheres, those ancient spheres. And just imagine it, just think of yourself in the bush, surrounded by trees. Imagine yourself in nature, looking at thousands of leaves. Imagine yourself with ferns around and a hidden trail through the forest. And maybe you come across some flowers, maybe you can hear some birds. Maybe you can see all sorts of plants. You can see vines. You can see rocks with moss on them. And this is appreciating nature. This is enjoying being in touch with something very primal. Something very natural. And as you walk, you just touch a little bit some of the surrounding leaves. You might reach in and smell a flower. There might be grass that is long that you run your fingers through. And a big gust of wind comes along and you hear the rustling of the leaves all around. And you stop and you pause for a moment and you feel the wind blowing across your skin. You feel the air touching you. And you just appreciate that movement and you allow the movement of your body to take that in. And you can do a very subtle dance with nature as you make your way through it. And in the case of the ocean, in the case of being at the beach, well, when you go into the water, there is another kind of wave that runs across your body. Like standing in the forest as the wind blows past your skin you will have the waves of the water. The the waves of the wind blow past your skin and the waves of the water blow past your skin or flow rather than blow. And there's nothing quite like going into the ocean because you've you've got to sort of coordinate. You've got to see when the wave is coming and then one comes and then there's going to be a moment where you actually go from being dry to being wet when it actually gets you, when you do get covered. And it might be that you decide to just jump right in. And dive straight in. I've seen many people at the beach run straight forward and jump straight in. Both with their surfboard and without. 
And this kind of physical interaction with the wind and the water is a meditative dance. It's a way of interacting with your surrounds, which is unlike anything we have in the modern world. It's unlike anything we have in our modern society. Now, if you live in a city, then I would wager that this kind of interacting and behavior within nature is lacking in your lifestyle. Look at the city lifestyle. You live in a box. You live in an apartment. You catch the train or the bus or you drive your car. You're interacting with machines. You're interacting with technology. Your phone, your computer, your screens. There are buildings all around. There are machines. There are diggers. There's concrete. There are crowds of people. There's a hustling and a bustling of noise. There's pollution. There's all sorts of sounds. There might be rubbish nearby. And this kind of environment, well, this has a kind of dance to it as well. And yet, the city environment does not lend itself to a natural kind of harmony sort of dance. It doesn't have a kind of meditative side to it. It doesn't have the deep roots to it, because cities are, believe it or not, a very young invention. They're a very new invention. They're a very new phenomenon. Humans are actually not hive animals. Humans are tribal animals. For the vast majority of human history, or prehistory, I shouldn't say history, I should say our evolutionary tract, because we're talking much further back than just history. Since since we've been standing on our hind legs, is what I'm talking about, for the vast majority of that time, we have been in tribes. We've been in families, and we've been living in nature. We've been learning to interact and live and have our lifestyles in accordance with the trees and the wind and the water. And of course it might be at some time that we find we are a hive species and we do adapt quite well. And many of us have adapted quite well to the hive lifestyle. And it's not to say that I'm here spitting a kind of romanticism for those prehistoric man. I'm not to say down with the hive or anything like that. There are good things that come from city life and civilization. But there's one thing for sure, and that is that you'll never replace having a connection with nature and the effect that it has on your well-being. And surfing is one of those things that survive, which is really just a wonderful dance. 
And it goes even further beyond just appreciating nature and doing a meditative kind of dance. Because it has many of the modern complexes that humans enjoy so much. Things like skill. Things like dedication. Things like excitement. Passion. And also competition. Surfing has been turned into a competition. And that's quite a, quite a thing to observe. This is quite something to be quite astonished about. This is the modern day surfing lifestyle. And I see competition as, well, an opportunity to show off. It's an opportunity for you to really show your stuff and to be acknowledged for the skills that you've got. And that's one of the good things about competition. It can be a recognizing of those that are really achieving greatness in so many ways. And surfing goes so far. Surfing goes so deep. I mean, there are, there are people who do surfing who are on the level of daredevils. It's a daredevil sport. Big wave surfers. Those giant waves, the adrenaline rush of having hundreds and hundreds of tons of water burring down behind you. And even to see that, even to see someone doing that is a thrill. Is he going to make it out? And people die. People have died trying to surf such waves. People have sustained crippling, absolutely crippling in injuries. And of course, it is possible to get caught up in the whole competition thing, like, oh, oh, I really hope I win, or I really need to practice so that I can get good, and then I've got to talk about my sponsorship deals, and, you know, there's all this advertising, and then there's prize money, and then I'm trying to surf more and I'm trying to build this lifestyle. And if you get caught up in that desire, you can really lose the real meaning of surfing. Then it can become all about the competition and the industry. And it becomes about the advertising and the sponsorship. And the real success meme takes over, the desire takes over from the real connection. You lose that deep connection. And that deep connection is dancing with nature. And it might be that if you do surf, you don't use those words. You don't call it dancing with nature. You don't call it a meditative dance because you might not be... It, it might be exactly that you're not even aware of meditative practices. It might be that you're not aware of people who are consciously aware of their relationship with nature in the modern world. And in some senses, you're lucky if you surf. Because you've got something that's very natural and very meditative that has just been given to you freely. It's almost like it's in your DNA. It's in your, it's in your blood. And the kind of person, well, there's, I mean... I mean, it's different all around the world, of course. But we have 
in Australia, we have a bit of a caricature. I mean, a huge percentage of Australians live on the coast. And there's a bit of a coasty person sort of caricature. And the surfy guy, the surfy dude, he's he's got blonde hair. He's got long hair. He drives a ute. He's quite slim, quite fit, quite strong. And that's actually another great thing about surfing is you've got to be quite fit and quite strong and healthy in order to do it. It's not exactly a, a walk in the park. It is quite physical. And the caricature or the sort of stereotypical surfy dude is, well, he's relaxed. He's laid back. He's your mate. He's your friend. He says, hey, how's it going? He's a local, and he's simple. He's very simple. And of course, there is also sometimes local beef. Locals only. Have you heard that one before? This spot is for locals only. No tourists. Keep the tourists out. And of course, there's all sort of drama that can happen between that. Human relations has all sorts of varieties to them. But generally speaking, the surfy guy is quite relaxed. He's got a lifestyle of simplicity. He's also got a certain kind of accent to him. Now, in large countries, in many large countries around the world, there are multiple kinds of accents. And you can see this, for example, in Southern America and Northern America. That's a very obvious difference. In accent, you can say, oh, you're a southerner, I can tell by your accent. And of course, in other countries, there are not even just multiple dialects, but not, or I should say, not even multiple, not dialects, I should say, not, not accents, but dialects. And then there's languages as well. So the way language works is that geographically, it's spread differently. And these differences, like these hard differences that we have between, you know, English or an Asian language or a Middle Eastern language or an Arab language, those are really just the big core languages of the world. And really, on a more local level, you see the differences in how people speak more gradual and the surfy guy, well, he's got his own accent. He's got his own, almost his own language. I mean, he uses the own, his own certain terms of phrases. Not only in relation to surfing, because surfing has its own lingo. Surfing has its own terms, of which I just about know nothing about. <laughs> but he, the surfy dude also has his own almost like his own dialect. I, w- I want to say dialect, but it's really just his own accent. Like if I if I was to talk to a local surfy guy, I would understand him because we both speak English. We both speak Australian English. But I very much do notice how, whoa, there is a very big difference in the way that we speak. And it's something to... Really, I also wanted to say more about the competition, which is that someone like Kelly Slater could have, I mean, 
this comes back to a broader meaning of competition, which is that someone like Kelly Slater, who I guess by many measures would be the greatest surfer of all time. I mean, who who can you really say as anyone is the greatest of all time? But by at least some measures, Kelly Slater is the greatest surfer of all time. And the reason we know that, the reason he has been brought to our attention is because of the competitions. It's because of the institutions that surround surfing. It's because of the things that are propelled around surfing. And that is, well, it's entrepreneurialship. It's branding. It's product selling. And that's the business of surfing. That's the that's the money making. That's the success meme in surfing. And you see that because that's where our society is at at the moment. That's what's driving our culture at the moment. Which is that someone can surf a giant wave. And if that act has enough views, it has enough people seeing it, then they can see, well, what brand are they wearing? And then that branding translates into product sales. And branding and impressions and sponsorship and industry and competition, this is all a cycle that is driven by, well, economy and success and money. And many people have actually made careers out of selling surfboards and selling surf gear, owning a surf shop. This is the retail side. And there's also a whole fashion industry, surf fashion, that branches off surfing. And they have their own way of making clothing. They have their own styles of clothing. They have their own things that they wear. And people can try and get an essence of surf life from buying those clothes. So successful surfing fashion is something that captures the essence of surfing. It's something that captures that magic of being at the beach. It's something that when you put it on, you remember, ah, this is what it's like to dance among the waves. It's what it's like to be around the wind and the sand and the salt water. And you can want a piece of that without even being a surfy dude or chick. You can want a piece of that without even really wanting to actually go to the beach at all and be much involved in going to the beach. It might be that you just see something in surfing and that makes you want to buy the clothing that's related to it without even actually participating. So imagine that Kelly Slater had never been in any competitions. Imagine Kelly Slater had never actually been discovered by the world. Now you could say that in, in one way the, the, the competitions had made Kelly Slater. He might not have been able to surf the way he had without the competitions. Would he have been able to just sit in his hut by the beach, off in some hidden 
land and surf those giant waves all by himself with no one watching? Would he have done those surfing feats with no one watching? Would he have done those things without any sort of competition or reward? Or is it that Kelly Slater was born into a world where we do have surf competitions and he did discover a deep love for surfing, but also he discovered within himself a competitive nature. He discovered within himself wanting to be in the spotlight, wanting to show off, loving having people cheer him on. And that sort of led him down the path, led him down his career of surfing, and he became more and more involved and more and more passionate about it because of all the many factors. And that's not even to say anything of sponsorships and success and fashion, all of which Kelly Slater was heavily involved in. So it's hard to it's hard to pass out or tease out the different components because surfing really as an act sits within so many other things, so many other factors. And yet that's not to say that very fundamentally completely fundamentally there is an essence to surfing which remains. There is an essence which is fundamental, and that is fundamental. I hope that's not too much of a tautology. And really, the person that gets the most out of surfing might be the guy that does live in the hut by himself in a distant land, and doesn't have any anyone watching. He doesn't have anyone film it. He doesn't have anyone take photos. He doesn't go in any of the competitions. He just surfs. He or she. And that is someone who is deeply in touch with the dance. The meditative dance of surfing. And another thing that kind of person has discovered is what it means to put effort in and get something out. Because there is an energy that comes from the waves. That's really what surfing is. It's harnessing a free energy. You're harnessing something that will propel you. And I can't think of anything except except for maybe sailing. Maybe sailing is the similar sort of thing, but I can't think of anything else that is in nature which does that. It gives you a free ride. It doesn't pollute. doesn't do anything to hurt the ways of the ecosystems. And of course, you do have to put a bit of effort in. Just like in sailing, you have to actually get the boat out there and you have to pull the ropes and you have to actually catch the wave. You have to kick and, sp- and wave your arms a bit to catch up to the wave. But once, you, once you're on the wave, then it's propelling you. And this kind of effort to reward with nature is something very much to be understood. Because think of, think of the things that you're, that you're putting effort into in life. 
Think of the things that you're trying to put effort in in order to get something out of. Now, that's a ratio. That's a ratio. That's a kind of loop. It's a kind of thing that you have on repeat. It's a kind of assumption that you're working out of. I can't see any way out of it. Of course, it's not final. But to put effort in and to get something out in relation to nature and to have how much more you get out of it, well worth the cost of what you put into it, well, that is a beautiful thing. And this is perhaps why the caricature of the surfy dude is so relaxed, why he's so easygoing, why his life is so simple, why a surfy dude is not really actually that ambitious, generally speaking, of course, if I can speak in such general terms. A relaxed person is someone who really, really doesn't put a lot of effort in and yet gets a lot out. It's really a good definition of relaxation. And that's not to be confused with the sloth. That's not to be confused with laziness or complacency. Because someone who's complacent is someone who doesn't put a lot of effort in and doesn't get anything out. And that's a very important difference to understand. That's not relaxation, that's complacency. So initially you might say, well, if the surfy dude doesn't put much effort in and he gets a lot out of it, well, that means I should just stop putting effort in, right? I should stop trying. And the answer is no. Because at certain points, the surfy dude actually has to kick very hard. They have to swim very hard. And in some cases, they have to hold their breath for a very long time to get out the back. To get into those places, to catch those waves. And of course, now, with our technological information boom that we are in, a surfy dude has more complexes to his psychology and his mind that make it less likely that he'll be able to remain in that natural sort of relaxed state. Because now he's contending with social media. Now he's contending with the information that's coming in. And this is affecting, well, the mind. It's scrambling the mind. And social media is just another one of those things that can cause a great big tangle and forget, allow you to forget what really surfing is all about. Because you can post your pictures, you can say, oh, I need to get good pictures, or I need to get more followers, or I need to get my sponsorship deals. And this is very much the same as the the teenage girl or the young girl who's posting pictures of herself and having image issues as to how she looks 
and worrying about how many likes she gets. And the same thing, in a sense, occurs with all of us. We've all had to have a look at that at some point, sooner or later. And we could say that, well, this modern society that we're in leaves more chances for things to be disappointing than they do to be relaxed. It allows for more chances of confusion and neuroses and things to be stressful or unfulfilling than they do to be natural. And that's why it's no guarantee that if you surf, you know the secret of surfing. You know the magic of surfing. And what I mean by that is that you remember it. What I mean by that is that you know it consciously. So if you do surf, you need to know that you surf because of the magic, because of the dance, because of the meditative interaction you have with nature. And that is a beautiful thing. And it's something that we can all learn something from. It's principles that we can all take into our way of finding again those things that are important for us to do. Things like walking through the forest, looking at the leaves of the trees, feeling the air on your skin. Smelling a flower, running fingers through long grass, hearing the birds, and dancing with nature. And that's all I have to say for now. <laughs>